substance equals spin The propagandas win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This made with good intentions Welcome to 1200, the politics and media podcast out of Aotearoa. Kia ora to my co-host. Ollie, how are you doing? Kia ora. Yeah, pretty well, actually. Thanks. It was good to get that um, midweek cast out as well, I think. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I liked, I liked co-hosting. <laughs> it's, it's good when you've got these two experts on that are just, um, yeah. they really know their shit and you get to just sort of like sit and listen to them <laughs> and sort of uh, occasionally bounce something off them. Yeah, such um, such a fantastic amount of expertise across the across the entire country eh? Mm. Um, and really glad when we can get a couple of them on at once so they can talk with each other yeah 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 that was actually that was a nice thing too yeah it's um not what's going to be happening uh today we're back to current events first current events episode for 2024 uh no expertise here um, <laughs> <laughs> just covering the garbage uh and politics and media that has been happening the last couple of weeks so thank you for joining me for that and and thank you to our audience for tuning back in for a new year but big news and i say big news uh only in the sense that it has dominated the media cycle uh has been the do we call it a scandal is it a scandal what, yeah what is, i think so yeah uh, uh, around uh green mp uh garaman alleged or now charged uh, with shoplifting now, um, initially yeah. alleged um, two weeks of headlines with zero details, uh, and then she arrived back in the country and resigned, and and seemingly confirmed the at least the first case as well. Yeah, there were, there were, I remember right after it, there were two more cases that immediately jumped up, and I remember my bullshit meter kind of going off, going, "Hang on, <laughs> where where have you been? Why why would you why would you wait until now to bring this up? It seems it seems strange, uh, especially given that there were anonymous sources. Yeah, uh, that there were these two other random cases, but yeah, she certainly confirmed the first one, and she stood down. Uh, and that seems like the right call. Yeah, I mean, right call for her, right call for the party. Um, yeah. Look, if she's having struggles, she's having struggles. And it does suck. I think there's there's, there's a there's a good discussion to be had around the sort of um, asymmetrical way that uh, women are treated in politics uh, versus men. Um, because yeah, we there is that sort of hypocrisy that people have sort of pointed out around the. Um, you know, people like Sam Offendell having being exposed as like someone who is a violently abusive human being, but um, they were like, ah, oh, we looked at it and we thought about it and we decided it's fine. That, you know, that that's strange. That's a, a weird lack of scrutiny. But but I think regardless of that, the right choice, the right choice for her to sort of step out because obviously, um, even if it is a sort of nothing more than a symptom of um, mental health struggles, if that's the case, then you, you got to step down anyway, right? You, um, yeah. If it's if it's taking that much of a toll on you. Yeah, uh, certainly not a, not a great situation. I think what's the most frustrating to me is just the way it's been covered, as as you alluded to. To the extent it's got like really kind of gross now. The the yeah the the like um, weirdly racist comments from Sean Plunkett, like, and I say weirdly racist because we know he's racist, but he's normally got a bit of guile about it, uh, and him just sort of coming out and being like, 
colored women shouldn't be in politics. And I was like, I, I can't remember the exact phrasing. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there. But yeah, using the term like colored women as like a pejorative uh, and suggesting that, that there's something inherently wrong with that. Strange, a, a weird precedent for him to be pushing the envelope like that. And also like um, danger out as well. Oh, God. Weird, like sexual comment about how she should have gotten into porn instead of politics. Like th that sort of stuff, undeniably uh, asymmetrical coverage that, you know, you, you, you don't see people saying, oh, John Key should have gotten into porn for many good reasons. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of men will struggle to sort of grasp the, the depth of difference it makes when you're a woman in politics versus being a man in politics. This Absolutely. And people will say, oh, both, both of those guys are like kind of alt-right or far-right reactionaries, regardless of what they the say. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, they're like ZB Plus, who um, broke the story and inverted commas um, into mainstream media, are trying to compete with Sean Plunkett. You know, this other guy has been associated with a range of different astroturf organizations that are regularly platformed in mainstream media. These are people who are associated with um, the media industry uh, and network within that space. It's... Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and even like the Danger Art specifically is part of the organization that is frequently quoted when reporting on Israel um, because he has those sort of like far-right perspectives that they're looking for specifically. Um, and, you know, Sean Plunkett has worked in advisory roles for MPs. So the, these guys aren't, unfortunately, they're not sitting on the fringe. These guys with these creepy and um, revolting views are actually sort of pretty pretty closely linked and attend the same parties as the sort of guys that are currently running the country so i still remember when the platform kicked off which is <laughs> sean plunkett's um little outfit uh and duncan grieve gave him a profile piece on the spin-off you know like it's all very uh interconnected um yeah but even the reportage you know like outside of that this week there were like basically paparazzi sitting outside garaman's home trying to catch her talking to police. And they did. They did. They got photographs of it, like, mm. looking incredibly clandestine, like foliage um, covering part of the shot kind of thing. Like, just really scummy, really... Kind of that, that 90s creepy, <laughs> like, that stuff that we thought was kind of had gone the way of the dodo in terms of media coverage. Because, I mean, you know, that, that was very hot back in when I was a kid. I remember that sort of, like, those that paparazzi shot, the sort of clandestine shooting through the bushes type stuff. Everyone yep. loved that, and the magazines used to eat it up. And I think, as a society, I feel like we'd kind of gotten past some of that. I, I, I thought, it, or at least it had been relegated to, like, the sun, um, <laughs> you know. But now it's, like, our, our sort of newspapers of repute, of supposed repute are sort of yeah. doing this the sun level sort of tabloid reporting and it's obviously they must know something that i don't it must be it must be their their way of selling papers it must be their way of getting ad revenue oh yeah it's just all about the clicks and everything we do is just about getting clicks so we can do advertising that's just how the industry works and so it's actually okay <laughs> it's just yeah they're i mean they yeah they're evolving with the times and unfortunately the times are not good in terms of uh, uh modern internet monetization Em embedding our journalists with SWAT teams while they kick down doors and execute people is just good for clicks. It's just good yeah. for clicks. Like that, that is where that argument leads. It's it's barely like a slippery slippery slope kind of argument. This is just what happens. It's I mean we're seeing it happen in um, uh, the guts of genocide right now. Right, like there's a whole press pack, Western press pack over there who aren't going into Gaza. Who are sitting in hotels in Israel getting drip release from the IDF 
And that's where a lot of the reporting's coming from. You know, like, I don't know. It all seems bad. And obviously this is like a flash in the pan comparatively, but I think it speaks to the underlying rot, the deconstruction of news with a lack of resource, capacity, experience, etc. Um, well, there is a, there is an agenda side to it too. I, I think it's yeah, it's not just for what they lack; it's also for what they have. It's, mm-hmm. There's a there's a very clear lack of scruples when it comes to sort of applying principles consistently. So you look at that sort of scandal we had well, a couple months ago now with the RNZ journalist. Uh, who reportedly ah, yes. was putting um, Nicole? Yeah, Nicole. Yes, I should use his name. Yeah, supposedly placing these sort of pro-Russia um, or pro-China um, editing headlines from Reuters, and then you look at what's been going on with the the same outlets and the same sort of people that were sort of condemning those choices. They're, they're just doing the same thing. You, you look on RNZ now, and you look at the articles that they're posting from Reuters, and they're changing Reuters articles to have a more Israel friendly spin uh, and it's happened on, on multiple articles and you see screenshots of it every other day with people seeing like people howling going what is this this is so uh, <laughs> hypocritical this is so disgusting we this was a scandal before but now that we're doing it to edit headlines to be more sort of Israel friendly so they're throwing in words like alleged or yeah. Palestinian say or according to the Hamas health ministry and they're changing these sort of um, these headlines to, to make them uh, Israel friendly, uh, and and it, not a peep. There's no there's no sort of big outrage machine spinning up. There's no sort of um, moral panic. None of the people that sort of even the people that were sort of soft and sort of said, well, well, yes, of course, there must be principles, and obviously, I don't. Uh, he was doing this, and it's not that bad. But uh, you know, you have to hold up these principles. They're all quiet now. It's all yeah. no one. No one seems to give a shit as long as you're doing it in, in sort of service of uh, of of that American foreign policy interest machine this is one of the really bizarre things about the entire case right like it just blew up so massively with the ceo basically calling it treason i think or something treason yeah it was obscene like what what an obscene thing to do to a staff member um like just as an employment issue and a lot of people as you say there are people who are like that's a bit much (laughs) you know but uh you know editorial standards etc etc and then like there's this whole thing, like looking back five years um, at Mick's uh, articles, like, oh, look, he changed this as well. And it's like, wait, this was the editorial standard. This was okay. And, you know, he said this himself. No one called him up on this. This was part of his job as a journalist was to add extra context. And the proof of that being the editorial stance and being how it works operationally within RNZ has been given by what's happening with Gaza reporting now, like yeah. they do change it and it's okay because they uh, presumably trust the people they hired to edit and adjust stories to mirror the message that RNZ wants on its webpage or in its reports. It was it was funny too because it was quite it was sort of illuminating about what a lot of um, sort of New Zealand conservatives and also some sort of self styled liberal types uh, <laughs> how much that sort of uh, conversation has has been captured I think by just American export that sort of yeah. culture war export of American politics has has really started to rot the brains of a lot of um, conservatives and, and a few centrists here in New Zealand because I remember a lot of them when they were having that sort of weird treason conversation uh, people were bringing up that he'd also made a couple of edits that had like 
gently uh, massaged. Oh, I can't remember what it was. Massage isn't even the right word. He, he had just contextualized something in, in a China headline. Yeah. Um, and I remember people being like, oh, look, he's, he's making this headline pro-China, ah, evil China. And I was just like, you guys realize like China is, is like as an ally <laughs> to New Zealand, <laughs> right? Like China is a country that we have a lot of trade deals with. They, they buy uh, some, almost, I think the lion's share of some of, uh, certain, some of our certain exports. They're, they're like a big trading partner for us. We have a very good, friendly relationship with China, ostensibly speaking. But these guys have, they talk about China like we're at war with them or like yeah. if we're not at war with them, like we need to be preparing for war with them. And I'm just like, you, you're getting sucked into a conversation that, that really is not applicable to New Zealand. We, we have a, a good relationship with that country and we try to maintain it. Uh, and even if we criticize sort of certain government policies that we don't like or their, the sort of their approach to how they handled the Hong Kong protests, for example, um, we still uh, we, we maintain diplomatic ties with them. We're not we we're not in a situation where we're supposed to be prepping for war with China. That's America's thing. Um, yeah, and, and so that it was very interesting to see how many people you you start to sort of click and go, oh, okay, these guys are just kind of watching Fox News all day long. Yeah, oh, or, or MSNBC, are, right? Like... Or, or even just on Twitter all day long. Yeah. And their brains are just completely attuned to the 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 wavelength of American politics, and they're they're more or less out of touch with what is going on in New Zealand politics. And I think I'll segue actually, because I think that that also ties in quite nicely with what's going on with a lot of the sort mm -hmm. of anti-Maori stuff and the anti-treaty uh, stuff or te tiriti or waitangi uh, in New Zealand is, it feels to me like an extension of that importation of the American culture war, because it's pretty apparent that the sort of architects of these supposed changes don't seem to really understand the treaty very well um, and, and don't understand the sort of history of New Zealand very well. But because they're like so, so tuned into that sort of American racial politics stuff, they think it just sort of can be um, copy pasted straight onto New Zealand. Yeah. And you know what? In some respects, they're not wrong so far as the political and narrative uses of that go um so for our audience the what do we call them a i'm going to just call them a far right party rather than a libertarian party the ostensibly libertarian party the ostensibly libertarian party that wants to erode civil rights <laughs> um, and erode property rights as a minority partner in the current government uh, one of the campaign promises it was running on was to have a referendum. I think just to get rid of the treaty, almost. Effectively, yeah, to to amend it to the point where it means nothing anymore. And that was um, ostensibly again shot down by National. Uh, they said we're we're not going to have a referendum, but they have allowed for a bill to be proposed uh, into Parliament. Uh, which I'll support to the first reading just to have it in the public sphere, which is just like fucking cowardly, honestly. And part of that uh, was leaked yesterday. Cheers, Rawiri. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, the um, Rawiri Waititi, uh, Māori Party MP, they published that on Instagram, I think. And it's most people seem to be pretty sure that it, it has come from... Like it is an official document. Like it is, it is a leak. Yeah. Well, David Seymour got stroppy about it on Twitter right afterwards and didn't deny it at all. So it no. seems pretty. <laughs> yeah. It's, it seems pretty clear that it's probably the real document. If I remember rightly, he's. I, I, I should try and look it up, but I think he said something about how he was annoyed because it was like a first draft or something as well. So yeah. Yeah. More or less confirmed that the document was real. And 
it's uh, everything I've seen from it so far, you know, from experts, <laughs> you know, people who study uh, totality um, and, and how it uh, interacts with politics and legislation here and the law uh, has said this effectively, this would effectively erase totality or waitangi. This is, is like an outright attack on Maori rights in New Zealand. Yeah, and it's it's interesting because um, the ultimate winners of the of the Treaty of Waitangi was the Crown. <laughs> like the the people who benefit most from it is our sort of current governance, and the the government that we have currently uh, derives its authority from that document, for better or worse. Whether whether or not you agree that it should be able to do that, it it does. And so the sort of um, there's a sort of short sightedness, I think, and it, like this is why I'm talking about it being this sort of imported culture war thing, mm. where these guys don't really understand what it is, but they're just like something about Maori. We're going to kick up a big stink about it. We're going to at least give the appearance of, of fighting against this sort of so-called Maori elite, uh, because that's what sort of rails up the base. But when it comes to actually trying to apply it in legislation, they're so so far out of their depth. It's it's profoundly embarrassing. And and I remember. David Seymour going on Twitter yesterday and talking about activist judges. Oh my God. Um, like straight out of like reactionary Republican rhetoric. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. He's, he's, he's borrowing the language of, of, of American politics. And, uh, but then the judges he's talking about are like Gordon Bisson. Like these are, these are like just, just, just blokes. They're not activists. They're, they're, they're old. They're too old to be doing activism. They're just uh, people who are doing their best to interpret the law and have, have thus far also interpreted the law in a way that is very crown friendly. I mean, it, 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 whether, whether you agree with it or not, uh, the current sort of interpretational application of the treaty principles is very, um, it's worked very nicely for the crown for a long time uh, and has sort of served as like a, 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 a balm uh in terms of um <laughs> uh, easing off the potential sort of revolutionary sentiment that could come from people sort of interpreting the treaty in a more literal sense so they've they've they've, they've created a situation where the crown gets to rule quite comfortably uh and people generally don't seem to mind it that much and i think what he's doing is he's he's accidentally getting people to look much more critically at that document and seeing how much of a, um, a sort of rot it has been in terms of how we've chosen to interpret it in year in the years since. Yeah. So the sort of the, the complete failure to recognize Maori sovereignty and Maori governance uh, where co-governance this, this thing that they've turned into a dirty word is in fact the compromise. It is yeah. the thing that is, um, is, is an, an unfair deal that Maori agreed to uh, for the sake of peace and stability. And, 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 you know, good example being like the Tapapa exhibit that was um, enhanced. Yeah. I think. Kekaha, uh, like, what certainly made a lot more interesting and getting a lot more visitors now than it's ever gotten before. But people starting to go, wait, hang on, I don't know much about this. And the more people sort of educating themselves, the more people who already are not really that behind what actor up to starting to sort of move further away from it as they start to realize, oh, okay, now I'm starting to grasp this. And it's clear that now me just learning about this, I feel like I know more than David Seymour does. Well, and this is why uh, one of the other policies that National Act kind of, and New Zealand First as well are pushing for us to take uh, some of the new New Zealand history curriculum out right? Like they don't want people to know about the history of colonialism here. They're actively trying to suppress that. It's it's bizarre. But, you know, this comes on the back of two years, I think, of campaigning by groups like the Taxpayers Union. Family First. Family First, Julian Batchelor, around co-governance um, and actively using terms like 
this is apartheid, you know, they're, I think the to to drive this uh, racial division. Mm. Like no no one else is doing racial division here. I, I want to be yeah, very clear yeah, about that. that. Like <laughs> it, it is it is purely like the arena of of the right. And you know there are there are like three things that this kind of Overton party has because that's you know that's how ACT operates. They are an Overton party. They are there to pull the entirety of the political sphere as far to the right as possible. Right. Yeah. Um, and that is driving division, projecting about what's happening, and then just outright lying. And they don't need to know the details, right? Like the, yeah, the fact that he doesn't know what he's talking about and no one he's working with knows what they're talking about and they're lying about it, it doesn't matter um, so long as it's not interrogated. They're leaning incredibly heavily on a political and media structure that allows them to just like say whatever they want and treat it as... Uh, a flat objective statement or, or not necessarily an objective statement but an extent a statement that doesn't require interrogation that's the thing so they'll they'll report on it and they'll say david seymour said this and then there's no follow-up there's no yeah is this true yeah <laughs> you know they're somewhere on the spectrum between they outright support it or they don't care enough to look into it the um really like horrible headline i saw yesterday was um, David Seymour says um, activist judges have a twisted interpretation of uh, the treaty. And you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's not only ahistorical, but just like... Lazy? Lazy, <laughs> it's almost defamatory. Like... Yeah, yeah. Because there are, I mean, there are judges that, that he is soft referring to. Uh, there are people, there are scholars, you know, people who spend their lives studying this document uh, that he is he is talking about. But obviously, I guess because he's not naming them directly, um, people are allowed to sort of, you can get away with that, I suppose. Yeah. At any rate, the entirety of this, uh, with that kind of two-year lead-in from the astroturfing groups, completely mirrors other, I guess, divisive wedge campaigns that we've seen across the Western world. So Brexit was the big kind of starting point for the more yeah. kind of social media mobilized um and full press campaign um, of the sort. Australia, <laughs> Australia had the voice. Australia had, I mean and that's a really um relevant one for us, right? Like that's dark. Just grim. Just so grim. And you know there's a really good um was it a Tao uh piece covering that like a short documentary about it. And they're just absolutely correct. It's you know, if they went into the campaign with a 70% people in favor of it and it collapsed. <laughs> and there there are, there are coordinated international campaigns uh, working to use these opportunities to drive division and cause problems for political structures uh, so that they can take advantage of that uh, further down the track. That's why we definitely can't rest on our laurels with this one, because I think, yeah, the overwhelming majority of Kiwis are not interested in relitigating the Treaty of Waitangi, but there is a very hyped up base. <laughs> and, oh, and just, they're like, they're so out of this world as well, some of these people. And mm. if, if anyone's on social media, it's rampant, man. Like, I was, um, I, I'm a freak for this stuff, so uh, <laughs> don't, don't do this. But I was just checking like comments on news sites uh, and social media and forums uh, like Facebook, Reddit, uh, Twitter, etc. This morning, just in prep for this, and I did a tweet about it. But it is very clear that a coordinated campaign around this, uh, utilizing social media sock puppets um, and like and sock puppet is you know a, a, an anonymous account that for some reason is using exactly the same wording and terms as all the other accounts doing the same. 
Yeah, it's it's becoming pretty rampant on Twitter. It's it's wild. Every every everything is just filled with these very obvious bot accounts, and it's yeah. kind of frustrating and strange. And like this is coordinated centrally at at best, and paid for uh, like further further down the line. Like there will be a they have engaged uh, professionals uh, to be running these lines wherever possible. It's it's wild, and some of the arguments they have, um, or like question techniques they're carbon copy like yeah um i think one of the the big ones keep an eye out for it is uh referring to article two the beginning of article two where there's a statement about all new zealanders um and saying oh if it says all new zealanders then then it's fine that we're trying to make all new zealanders equal with the yeah. david seymour changes it's like no that was referring to maori that was like specifically referring to maori because that was who new zealanders were at the time they've done this this sort of weird inversion thing where they're implying that that maori are sort of the elite class of new zealand despite all reality uh, and implying that that pakia are new zealand are the oppressed class which is bizarre but they they've, they've managed to sort of take the sort of most rich comfortable and catered for political demographic in the entire country and make them think that they're victims yeah this grievance um, culture is a huge part of it right like yeah yeah and and self-victimization because they yeah. go through these sort of self-affirming narratives of like oh yeah like uh the other day i tried to make a racist joke at work and i got called into hr because i'm persecuted <laughs> you know like there's this one account this... that's just being that's been dumped on multiple times now um it's an anonymous account so who knows if it's real or not complaining mm. about their son not getting into med school because of affirmative action for Maori. <laughs> yeah or, or like getting mad that you can't say anything to women anymore and it's like oh i, I what were you saying to women dude like what <laughs> uh, three guesses what it was you've been saying to women that you're not allowed to say anymore uh, and i'll use one of them it's and it's always these people uh, like who are who have so much institutional or social capital right like uh i own five houses uh and i can't get a, a loan to um buy my land back from the government like maori can or something you know, <laughs> some shit so it's completely ahistorical like insane shit and yeah i don't know yeah and that, that sort of the, that whole thing of these sort of beneficiaries of intergenerational wealth these guys oh, who, have, who have the money that they have specifically because the crown stole maori land they sort of go yeah well you know i, I, I shouldn't have to give it back and it's it's that funny thing of like you know act supposedly libertarian supposedly value property rights above all else unless that property happens to be maori land that was stolen and is slowly in the process of being sort of uh either uh returned or compensated for oh no 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 but we can't relitigate history like that's just too hard actually like if we didn't really get history for everyone then the world would have to it would turn on its head oliver yeah we can relitigate some history and only in a specific context and only in it benefits a specific group is is the sort of the the um, naked hypocrisy of yeah. the way the act processes these things because yeah like uh, another one that's been sort of interesting to watch was sort of how act have been happily cooperating with the sort of christian right on um uh sort of trying to uh, trying to slowly undermine and attack reproductive and sexual rights mm -hmm. in this country uh they've sort of been moving themselves positioning themselves gently onto the anti-trans thing obviously that's more winston peters's thing because he's appealing to his sort of christian elderly conservative base but davidson were happily sort of going along with that and and national obviously just happy to just sort of do whatever these guys are trying to do because Luxon doesn't have a plan and a brain but they're, they're sort of and I think Luxon also 
because from his Christian background is also quite happy to sort of start turning the thumbscrews on some of this stuff, but their, their desire to sort of rework the sex education policy mm -hmm. in schools to make it, uh, I mean, we, we can beat around the bush and pretend like we don't know what the plan is, but their, their plan is to make it explicitly well, anti-trans. Again, we've seen and, this everywhere else in the world, right? Like, yeah, and it's that same, yeah, that same international export importation of culture war that has no bearing on New Zealand culture. It's not part of our, our culture. We have a, a, a rich and joyful history of, of celebrating trans people in this country that goes back further uh, and has only become this sort of grievance thing in the last 10 years. You know, there was there was, there was a quiet sort of Christian or conservative minority that, you know, hated Georgina Bayer, but generally speaking, New Zealand didn't have these issues until we decided to start importing American culture war shit. And it becomes very clear that this is the direction that the parties of the right are, are going. Actually, let me amend that statement really quick. Because yeah, <laughs> no, I realised... I, we, we, I should say we, we had issues, but they weren't at the forefront. They weren't a thing that people were making their whole identity. Yeah. Um, they weren't a thing that people were campaigning on. So yeah. the sort of mistreatment of our uh, LGBT community in New Zealand um, was always there. It always bubbled under the surface. But the fact that it's become this like touchstone issue in the conservative movement is, is an importation yeah. and it's an imposition and a very ugly one too. Yeah, and not not supported by the public. Like it's not it's not about what, people actually want as much as the right will say, oh, this is, you know, silent majority kind of shit. It is only to carve people off and cultify them. You know, it's like, we're going to make certain political statements, badges of honor that actively alienate people from their communities. Uh, should they, should they side with us? You know, this is, it's very like cult psychology shit and it's intentional. Like this is, this is how reactionary parties have to operate in the current day because stuff is just getting too wild. Like the crises are getting too much. <laughs> it's an old method too, because I remember they, they used to do that back in the day with um, like the communist movement. Mm -hmm. They used to sort of tie in communists with Jews was a big one. So they'd, they'd call it Judeo-Bolshevism, which you still see people throwing mm -hmm. that term around a lot nowadays. They're sort of doing this like retro old-timey racism mm -hmm. thing. But that's sort of when you start clustering things together. So we'd say, ah, oh, well, the Jews are, are the ones who are behind communism. And we know you hate one of those groups. So we're going to use that as the sort of way to make you hate the other one. Yeah. And so now that sort of concept that they used to use has been expanded. And so they, they, the, the phrase that you'll see uh, outright Nazis using online, which is the, the mask off version of what all this politics is. Yeah. Uh, as they refer to it as like globo homo, which is this idea of the globalists, which is a code word for Jews uh, and also a code word for uh, supposed communist new world order. But they've added this sort of gay thing in and you, you'll see people outright saying gay people are a Jewish psyop. Uh, you know, that, that, there's this idea that it's all like a, a plot by the communists yeah. to weaken humanity, uh, but to, to rein in some supposed new world order that's eventually going to get here. It was, you know, supposed to arrive 10 years ago and then last year. And, you know, they, they keep updating the timeline when it's all supposed to arrive. But it's this idea that there's these minority groups that are secretly working behind the scenes. Uh, and it's all interconnected, and it's so that they can say, well, if we can get these people who hate gay people, we can then get them to vote against their own interests. But remember, so, it's left-wingers. It's left-wingers with conspiracy <laughs> theorists um, trying to do this stuff. <clears throat> That's the thing, When they point yeah. out, like, uh, you actually got paid by this organization. <laughs> like, right, we can actually see the funding. Like, this, yeah, we, we, yeah. this organization we can see actually... that you let Bob McCroskey write your sex education policy. Like, we this know organization that says this. that you're part of their organization. Like, this is on record. Why is that? You're... Oh, you're just a conspiracy theorist. But yeah. the fact that right-wing politicians are happy to wallow in this stuff, like, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, the left needs to like keep an eye on its activists or whatever, like this time policing of activism. 
when, when you know it's like just people saying hey workers should have more rights and then in the same breath they'll say oh i can't help who supports me you know like oh yeah the guy who um wanted to blow up mosque after mosque he gave me a donation but that's fine you know like that's not something i'm going to worry about they and by doing that you know that's tacit support for these groups uh and exactly. yeah. when they the, use rhetoric uh that speaks to those groups like wouldn't it be funny if someone blew up the ministry of pacific peoples that's speaking directly to those groups who are in their social media feeds who are quote tweeting them and this was uh, sent to me this morning uh by donna on twitter thank you very much it's diva de Burr, who is a white supremacist uh who is i think in the new conservatives <laughs> i think he's the leader of the party now this is david de Burr, uh saying now all we need for him to take this thought one step further to the right quote tweeting david seymour attacking this is this other like bizarre diatribe that david seymour wrote this week around voting rights and he's he's attacking left-wing teacher unionists um starting a, a recipe for cultural revolution pitting indoctrinated socialist youth against the parents and taxpayers who pay their bills and you got this white supremacist new conservative saying we need to take this further to the right and it's retweeted by James Rossiter, who, for those who don't know, is uh, a member of Actions of Zelandia. He's like an out neo-Nazi. And, you know, the pipeline is very, very clear there. It's Yeah, it is, it is if you're watching it. And it's because they're, they're very crafty and it's very, um, they're very good at sort of maintaining this plausible deniability. It was like you were saying before, where they say, we can't help who it is who follows us. We can't help who it is who likes us. You actually can. Yeah, it's uh, pretty easy. And, and, and it's very obvious to anyone who's paying attention that you are actively courting these people. You want them because you know that they will show up to vote for you if you, as long as you you masquerade as being their guy, as long as you put out the sort of you you, you show them that you are appealing to their sort of brand of politics. Uh, uh, but you, you're also actively encouraging it. You want you want these guys on board because you know that they'll be sort of like little ideological foot soldiers for yeah. you. Yeah, they'll go and beat people up for you. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, these guys are going to be your brown shirts, I guess, is the is the sort of idea that they've got cooking. Um, but the, obviously, they would never call it that because they would never admit that this is the sort of politic that they're. Look, if you're a crypto fascist, you don't admit you're a fascist, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the that's conceit. The yeah, and it's it's this it is a it is a very creepy, very ugly coalition, and it is a very wealthy one as well. They have that sort of family first. Uh, funded by american conservative groups um sort of money that comes in to try and sort of distort new zealand policy and i think it was kind of it touches a little bit on that what emmy was talking about on wednesday about that idea of sort of building this international consensus of wanting new zealand to be a sort of leader a sort of a groundbreaking country in that regard the fact that we um don't align with our supposed allies on things like atomic weapons mm -hmm. Um, and, and saying, wouldn't it be nice if New Zealand could break from that sort of AUKUS arrangement, uh, break from that idea of, of oh, we'll, sell, we'll support Israel because America and Australia and the UK all do. They're, they're doing the same thing. They're, doing the, they're kind of doing the same thing in the other direction, which is how do we tr sort of bring New Zealand into line? Uh, and by doing so, if we can get New Zealand to become increasingly reactionary, then we help to sort of build the consensus for a, a, a reactionary um, coalition of countries. So uh, <laughs> in the same sense that we're hoping, I guess, on the left, that we can break from that sort of structure, they're hoping to sort of metastasize that yeah. superstructure. I mean, just for hope they're stupid enough to fuck it up, like, honestly. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, yeah, we hope. They, they kind of are. Um, but we, we do need 
media and politicians to actually be on board with fighting back against it. That's the thing. Um, and, you know, as we've alluded to, like, there are rich and powerful people in the media as well, right? Like, David Seymour isn't getting an opinion piece in the Herald, I think it was today or yesterday, to just, like, spout off because the people who run the Herald are... Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's... And it's the same across the board. Choice. Yeah, and... Or we're, we're such a small country, it means things can change very, very quickly, um, which can be good in some respects. Uh, but it also means that a lot of the people in positions of power are just mates. And that's not to say, like, there's a conspiracy that they're like, they've got it mapped out on a calendar, like, this is when we're going to take over this, this is when we're going to do this. It's really, yeah. They're just like, Oh, yeah. It's more ad hoc, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and and it can be because they they have everything. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like if you if, they don't seem to be in a huge rush, but they they are certainly they it's very clear what they want. Yeah, they just want the stuff. Like is what it comes down to. I I want power, money, and control. Um, and left wing interests don't want me to have that. I can probably keep these actual fascists in check, uh, because I've got the power and control. Right. Like. Yeah, and and, and and it doesn't have to be sort of grounded in reality either. There doesn't have to be. Um, you don't you don't have to have a real plan. That's the thing. Like David Seymour, his his sort of plan for amending the Treaty of Waitangi is not. There's nothing there. It's very clear he doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing. He's wildly out of his depth. But he also doesn't have to be. He just has to get people worked up enough. It's yeah. kind of reminded of the Three Waters thing. Yeah, there was a really fascinating interview. Uh, not interview, sort of a Vox Pop segment. I can't remember who did it, where someone went down and spoke to some Three Waters protesters and asked them to explain what Three Waters was. And they couldn't find a single person no. down there who could coherently explain what Three Waters was. Um, and that's the thing, is there were people running around with these big stop Three Waters signs and stop co-governance signs. But when you asked any of them what it actually was, none of them could explain it to you because they don't, they don't operate on information. They no. operate on vibes. Well, vibes uh, and direction. Yeah, and direction. That's the thing. So, the, yeah, the, yeah they, they they do what they're told, and um, that's that is the sort of the fundamental basis of the conservative and the movement. entire campaign was just <laughs> like almost outright abetted by media who are happy to just to run these lines without without interrogating it. Um, yeah, and, and doing kind of a poor job of of even trying to explain what it was, and then and just how... complaining that everyone be like, "Oh, but Labor didn't communicate it properly," and you're just like, "Did Labor not communicate it properly, or was the?" entirety of coverage of it uh couched within the framework of what some of the worst people in the country in the country's politics were saying like yeah it, it, was, it was funny because people, when people were saying labor didn't articulate it properly i remember there was that funny little interview where someone uh, i think it was trevor o'brien just sort of said went to karen mcnulty yeah. i don't know if i'm saying his last name right and just just sort of asked him about it and he just it, literally over the course of a few minutes just literally explained it from start to finish yeah you know, in very simple terms that anyone could understand to the point where i sent the video to some of my relatives because i was like yeah this is it this is this is what you need to know about it and here's how we as the new zealand public are the beneficiaries of such a system because we get better water quality that's the whole point and we're seeing um, that play out now by the fact that it's gone um and yeah. oh, God. like some councils are just like uh what do we do now <laughs> you know like and it's yeah. always going to happen like people and communities are going to be on the sharp end of this when the right pushes through their policy they're going to privatize water is what they're going to do they're going to yeah. privatize the infrastructure now that's the that's the intent let's so you could you could maybe make the argument that maybe labor didn't didn't 
communicate it properly. I think they were fine. They knew exactly how to communicate it, but I think they they didn't. Maybe that maybe if they failed anywhere, they failed to seize on opportunities or realize how bad the conversation had gotten, yeah. uh, and realize oh, we actually need to start proactively fighting. Yes. This. I mean that's a classic labor. Yeah, yeah. They it, it, they they slept on it and they didn't. It didn't occur to them. Oh wait, people are crazy out there. We need to actually go out of our way to explain this to people, even though it seems kind of trivial. Yeah. Because there's a very false version of things that's sort of going around that it turns out we need to fight. Did it, it on weed as well? Like yeah, they, they just sat on their laurels and thought, yeah, we don't need to proactively be here. There has been a consistent lack of understanding, uh, labor in particular, and you know the institutions around them about how astroturf. Uh, groups in New Zealand uh, campaign um, and how they operate and how they're tied to right-wing political interests. It's, and is, is it, I don't know if it's resting on their laurels or just like. It certainly felt that way. I mean, they had that majority government. Yeah, absolutely. uh, And they didn't do a whole ton with it. Um, They got a few things across the board that were really nice. All gone. Yeah. (laughs) Not all gone. Not all gone. No, not yet. Not yet. In my line of work, where we appreciate Andrew Little getting the the repeal of three strikes across the board, that was mm-hmm. good, nice little piece of legislation. But it'll probably come back sometime in the next three years, yeah. Uh, because they, yeah, I think they really they they had a good thing, and they didn't really know how they didn't either. They didn't know how to, or they didn't want to capitalize on it. I think um, they're a bit captured by this idea that they can just publicly poll, and that's enough for a a labor movement. Um, yeah, we were talking about that the other day with, with Chris Hipkins suddenly flipping on the Israel Gaza thing yeah. as soon as that poll came out. <laughs> but you need <laughs> like, to yeah. you need to be building community and they had three years that they should have been I mean they should have been doing it for six years that they're in government, just giving money to communities. I mean New Zealand first knew how to do it. They got hold of the um provincial growth fund, right? Mm. Um and went out and just gave huge amounts of money to the regions. Like I mean, it's very like brute force. Uh but Labour could have been doing something similar. And building like community inoculation, I guess, against this kind of more reactionary politics, which was always coming, uh, given the poly crisis. Like, it's just a lack of understanding about how uh, society works. Yeah, and I, I suppose I would, I would give them some small credit in that they obviously did not anticipate COVID. Uh, and so that, that <laughs> did sort of take up a lot of their time and also unfortunately burn through a shitload of their political capital because they had to fight the sort of bizarre anti, mm-hmm. anti-lockdown anti pro-COVID movement. And having to spend so much of their time and resources on that meant that they couldn't really do other stuff. But I don't, I don't want to give them too much of an excuse because they could, they, you can still work your sort of core policies in the middle of a crisis like that. But it really did, and it, and it, and it robbed them of Jacinda as well. I think she, if, if it not, had not been for that shit, uh, I think she would still be there. And she's a much better leader and a much better communicator uh, and a better sort of um, policy champion. Probably a better person. Is. <laughs> just just better just better in, on every factor than chris hipkins who is maybe the weakest and worst and least charismatic leader the labor party has ever had as far as i at least in my lifetime at least for um, andrew little they called him angry andrew like he had enough presence that they needed to label him right yeah and 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 andrew's yeah i mean for all his his sort of dithering sort of turn as the leader of the party um you know the man's got a bit of mana he's got a bit of clout in the sort of unions like i said i give give him some credit as minister of justice for getting some good policy across the board i can't think of that with chris hipkins i (laughs) i I just see an empty suit uh walking around with a guy who occasionally takes a photo opportunity with a sausage roll (laughs) that's that's his entire personality yeah and Um, look the this is going i mean this is going to accelerate right like both 
need for labor and left-wing movements to fight back on the stuff and the the amount of pressure coming out of the far right and alternative right movements and mm. i think and i've said this previously on the cast i think pro potentially what's going to happen is act uh using the they're going to try and generate enough outrage and make us enough of an issue talking to activist judges or uh you know incorrect interpretations of a treaty and equal rights you know all this all this bullshit um they're going to try and create enough of a discourse and narrative around it that they will they or like one of their outriders like the taxpayers union or someone will start a citizens initiated referendum rather than a legislative one and use that as the campaign to drive this wedge with the understanding that national has said they're not going to like let this get through the legislative process acts still yeah. want to do this and they're right wing i don't know if we call them paymasters but directors this is this is the current tool that they use in western democracies to grasp political power is they use racist wedge issues act aren't going to give up on it this easily you know they're not going to be like oh okay we got the bill in and it failed at second reading they're going to be like, okay we got the bill in that's a stepping stone how can we generate more outrage within communities and I think that, yeah, that thing you mentioned with the the voice in Australia, how it started off with pretty much overwhelming public support, the fact that they were able to not just erode that, but completely invert it to mm -hmm. the point that it fell to pieces, is should be for us, I think, a sort of sobering reminder that nothing is a given. We, we look at our current situation and we say, well, surely, surely, no one would be stupid enough to try and undermine the founding document of this country and effectively negate the authority of the crown yeah. <laughs> um, by destroying the treaty. Um, but it turns out someone is stupid enough to try and do that. And uh, even if they fail, the secondary, or maybe, maybe, maybe it's not, maybe this is the primary purpose. Maybe we need to be looking at it like that. Result of it is that they will have created an extremely effective uh, political wedge that will further drive division in this country. For all their talk about sort of trying to kill division uh they're creating it they're creating it out of thin air yep. and um it's something that we need to be wary of we can't we can't rest on our laurels we can't say oh well um surely we have the sort of the, the public opinion on this one uh, because that can and does shift and it will shift under the weight of misinformation it'll shift under the weight of, and of rapidly. perceived public pressure uh, and perceived consensus, which is a big thing that they do. They sort of fake consensus. We were talking about those sort of bots on Twitter mm -hmm. that they use to give supportive messages. It doesn't matter that those people are fake. What matters is that it gives the appearance of a lot of people thinking one way, which unfortunately is a very persuasive method on a lot of people. Especially when um, politicians have been, and, and journalists have been conditioned <laughs> to think that's the case. Because yeah, lots of people all this stuff right. is anonymized when they're doing polling shit, right? Like this is <laughs> how their brains work now. It's, I mean, Māori have not been resting on this, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been there's good. There's a big hui today, which is already going ahead, but uh, now these leaks are going to be like right at the forefront of that. And I think, though, in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see this accelerating narrative coming out of the right that in particular, Māori talking about their rights being under attack is going to be framed as Māori trying to take rights. Yeah, and trying yeah. to like organize to like uh, attack 
New Zealanders. Ab absolutely. I mean, that's I've already seen comments to that effect of people being like, "Look at them; they're gathering." You know, like th th that sort of like bizarre uh, colonial. Yeah, look, they are the separatists. Like, you know, like yeah, yeah, and, and that idea of like just invoking some of that old world mythology, saying like, "Oh, look, they're, they're gathering; they're sort of preparing for the Maori land wars, and we should too." Like it's it's dark. It's actually it's very disturbing. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's a mainstream view, but I, I don't want to just assume that it couldn't become that. It couldn't yeah. become this sort of like bizarre cultural touchstone thing. Well, Julian um, Batchelor was going up and down the country literally saying that. Like yeah, saying, get your guns ready, right? To rooms full of people. Yeah. To rooms full of people. And um, obviously mostly like uh, elderly people, but still you've got to keep an eye on it because um, there is there is another sort of, unfortunately there is that sort of, stoking of the, the next Brendan Tarrant there's a there's a this ideology it goes towards violence yeah uh, and, and it celebrates it right up to the point and then it will deny it because they'll say well we didn't actively encourage this yeah, yeah. sorry stochastic um, terrorism doesn't exist actually what do you mean what does that even mean is that the word like people have to take responsibility for individual choices to shoot someone up because the political context became allowable <laughs> right? yeah like, the, the, the lone wolf thing that they've been using in America, where they 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 they, they did that. I mean, when they, when talking about that shooting here, we we talked about it as primarily as though he was just sort of operating on his own. When he had literally had accomplices, he had people who were helping him out in the lead up to people that he was talking to, and people who showed up on the day who seemingly had like foreknowledge that he was going to do it. Uh, who showed up and like were cheering outside the mosque immediately afterwards, and that all that stuff all sort of disappeared in the sort Oops. of wave of um, sort of support. Yeah. The, the good things, this the outpouring of support for the yeah. the, the victims, uh, and, but also in, in the discussions afterwards, going how did this one man become yeah. so perverse? How did this one guy become so broken? Uh, and and not really reckoning with the the groundswell of ideology that inspired what he did and built him up to that point it still exists that groundswell is still there uh, and obviously it has to sort of calm down it has to go sort of dormant for a little while immediately after such an incident um, but it's still there they're still driving the same issues they're still creating those same wedges uh, and and it ultimately is radicalizing. You still see these guys uh, showing up with their sort of skull masks and Hitler salutes, showing up at conservative rallies, uh, and among them is another potential shooter. And I, it, it's 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 something to be aware of. It's something to, that we have to be sort of thinking about approaching in politics for the next five years minimum. What a great place to end it. Um... <laughs> that sounds oh man, it's so that's so scary, but it's. Look, we're like, we have to be, if we're... We can't ignore it. If we're importing uh, US cultural norms, that comes with <laughs> it. Like, like, and we've got, a, we've got a, a far-right act party under the guise of libertarianism trying to get rid of gun registers, you know? Like, or, like, I... Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, if we're a mirror yeah, of the United yeah. States, we have school shootings. <laughs> like, this Good is just Lord. how it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, hor the horrible idea that that is just part of their culture, but it is, uh, and that that is also something that can be imposed and imported into our culture is um, is a nightmare. Um, but it's something that you can't ignore. You can't ignore because um, if you do, then it then it happens, and if you don't, then there's a chance you can stop it. Thank you for tuning in, everyone. Thank you for joining me, Ollie. Hey, pleasure. That's gone a little bit longer than um, we'd planned to do it, but look, uh, sometimes there's a lot to talk about. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, uh, we'll be doing current events for the entirety of 2024. Like and subscribe so you get the alerts. We've got a Patreon that's in the summary. 
uh, give us some money. Help us to do independent left-wing media because, God, it's bleak out there. Um, you'll find better <laughs> takes and analysis here. And this has been proven again and again over the last five years. We are ahead of the curve by at least six months. We are calling things that are going to happen. Uh, and we are drawing lines between things that no one else in, in journalism in New Zealand is doing, uh, let alone in politics, which is somehow even more divorced from reality at times. So follow us, listen to our podcast, share it around, uh, get people on board and organize uh, so we can stop some of this right-wing culture war um, and mobilize as communities uh, to push back on it. That's been another episode of One of 200. We'll catch you next week. If artifices are denied, live in a pointless life, but learning all your lessons, fucking politics, there's no distinction, the words are now. Amongst the people every day In this vindictive, forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell